So this episode is just special in general uh, because, well, not special in general, but special because this is this episode marks our one year anniversary from when we first started. Woo, woo, woo. Yay. Oh my gosh. <laughs> Sorry, I'm like, so I'm, I'm lame. I don't want to scream into the microphone, but I'm like, yay. Yeah, oh, definitely not. But yeah, this is now, um, re- re- regardless of my voice, <laughs> we are really excited um, that we were able to make it through a year. Carolyn reminded me because I totally forgot. Uh, I don't, we can blame that on everything and anything. But yeah, but no, I am really happy that we've been able to stick it out for a year. And you know, we're both very busy people. We both do multiple things in, in and outside of the horror and film community in general. So being able to get to do this once a month is quite a feat. So mm-hmm. um, we're following the footsteps of really some really great podcasts who talk about film. There's um, the Black Girl Film Club. There's Faculty of Horror. All these other people that we um, see doing things and appreciate them doing just as great as far as their podcast. Also, Girl That's Scary, this is a new one. Yeah, so we just wanted to do this special intro to kind of acknowledge that it's been a year and what we've kind of been up to within this year, mostly just movie-wise, and just be completely honest with it, because I'm ready to get honest. Are you, Carolyn? Yeah, actually, yes. Yes, I am. (laughs) Let's Let's get started. Okay. All right, so I made kind of a list of like just movies that kind of left a you know kind of a lingering thought and um one of them is the film called stowaway i don't know if you've seen that and it stars um this canadian actor oh my god he's blowing up i'm so happy for him his name is um shamir anderson and him and his brother are like an acting duo they're from toronto so happy that these guys are taking off and i think they're actually behind um we're gonna have a um black academy awards uh here in in canada for like for black excellence in you know the film industry so that's amazing um so he stars in this film and it's basically it's called stowaway it's about um these three scientists and they're going to mars on an extended um trip to you know try and see if we can all like if we can eventually move there there's like an agriculturist there's um a doctor and Tony Collette is the um, the captain. Anna Kendricks is the doctor, and Daniel Day Kim as the agriculture scientist. So they all go up, you know. They take off. They're in the spaceship. They're heading to Mars, and um, they realize that there is somebody who has passed out and is locked up in the, some sort of a panel in their spaceship. And as he's he's basically dropping like a sack of potatoes out of this panel, he rips some sort of major part of the ship. And so that means that they're running out of oxygen. So basically they have to pick somebody to die because they won't have enough oxygen to live. And they've tried, they tried different things. They try to oxygen, use the oxygen that um, the plants are making and that destroys like a whole experiment that they needed for the, for Mars. So it's really um it's it's a very tense film it's like an ensemble thing there's not a lot that happens but it 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 lingered with me because you know just seeing that i don't know if people realize when they put a black character in a film and just kind of like oh, we're not going to pay attention to race it still comes up because um i feel like it's it, it it kind of posits like 
you know, to include Black people in the future, right? Mm -hmm. It it almost seems as if white people have to sacrifice something, you know? Like, that's what I kind of, that's what was the lingering thought. um, That, you know, because this Black character is taking up space, that means the other white characters or non-Black characters have to sacrifice something. And that's not a narrative that I'm okay with, you know? Any, yeah, at, think, at all, anymore, ever, yeah. Yeah, I think that's what, because it kind of lingered on, I'm like, you know, it's a it's a well-made film. Um, there's a little bit, a few story issues with it, but that was the thought that came up to me. Actually, um, I don't know, I think, what, what was I doing? I think I was like washing the dishes. And it, it just, I guess my brain was working on it for a long time. And then it, it just hit me and I'm like, that's why I'm uncomfortable with this film. Because... It just made it seem like in order for the black character to survive, um, white people have to give something up. And that's not a narrative we need to be seeing. You know, that's just my thought. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. I just had some mostly just general thoughts. Uh, mm-hmm. You know, I think my favorite movie of last year was the 40 year old version. I'm glad we got to talk about that one. Oh, yeah. I've mostly just been. I've just been so hyper-focused. Sometimes I do teach horror film courses. Sometimes I don't. So, but even when I come home, I I just, over the past, really, mostly just the 20, maybe just mostly 2020, I've just kind of just like, well, anything new that's horror-related is not really intriguing to me. I think I have a little bit of fatigue from it, just a little. Um, I Nothing really excites me until I really until I see characters of color, specifically black for me. Mm-hmm. I'm not going to lie. So I think that's kind of how I've been feeling overall. I'm kind of, it's that, which it makes things, which makes things a little bit difficult sometimes. Cause it's, it's just kind of hard for me to, I don't know. Nothing has really stood out mm-hmm. in horror specifically, but like if we're talking about, uh, all to, there are some gems. There are some, there's some really great stuff I've been watching, um, throughout the year. There's different types of, um, Films outside of the outside of that genre specifically, because most people know both of us for um, being into horror. Mm-hmm. But yeah, I just don't have the fervor for it like I used to. Perhaps I don't know. Mm-hmm. Um, and I maybe that's just kind of just me evolving, and also just like how my my the what I do as far as work, how that's shifted dramatically as well. Um, it's mostly a lot of me going back and looking at the older stuff or curating the other stuff, so I could teach a younger generation what this, you know, expose them to the stuff that, you know, I, that got me into horror specifically, you know? Mm -hmm. Yeah. I, I totally understand. Like there's, there hasn't really been anything that has super blown me away. And like, I know um, I just so desperate to see black characters in horror and nothing's really blown me away completely. Um, I remember, yeah. Remember we, um, I don't know if I can mention this because we might do an episode on it, but that sound of um, sound of violence was interesting. You know, mm-hmm. that was interesting. But um, and and I really like seeing kind of a flawed, complex character, um, and and that she's black. You know, it's that's I think a situation where they've put a black character in, and it doesn't necessarily matter whether she's black or white. It's just kind of cool to see her as this complicated, messed up character. I think that that's what I took from that film. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah. 
but I, I know, I know, I know what you're, you're saying. Um, no, I was just going to say we can, I mean, we might have to talk about that because I think we have differing views on it. Not necessarily, mm-hmm. not in a really like bad or polarizing way, but mm-hmm. just like, while I found that movie intriguing, it, it, it missed the mark for me in a lot of ways, but like, mm-hmm. we'll get into it. Like, yeah. I don't think it was a bad movie at all, mm-hmm. but I'm just like, eh. <laughs> yeah, so I, but I'm please looking, continue. No, I'm looking forward to for us to kind of dig, dig into that one. But um, yeah, I think what do I have written down here too. Um, just recently um, I rewatched Blackula. Mm-hmm. Oh my God. It's so good. <laughs> Yeah. I don't know. I just think it's so, it just, you know, it's an attempt at, at making us as black people have like a rich history and using our history to create this character, you know, and mm-hmm. I, I just, yeah, it just kind of blew me away because I haven't watched it in a long time. So I really, you know, I just, and isn't it kind of sad that I have to go back into like you know the archives to find like a black horror film like it just i don't know kind of pisses yeah i mean i i am glad it's available there are even older films that are becoming more readily available Mm -hmm. um yeah there's a lot of uh there's a lot of black there's a lot of women's films and black and black films and probably films from um, other places too. A lot of them are lost. They're lost to time. They're lost to damage because of the way films were produced uh, once upon a time. So unfortunately, a lot of things are kind of lost in the shuffle. Um, I know there's a lot of, um, a lot of history written by Oscar Michelle, uh, written about Oscar Michelle. Like that's just one example. Mm -hmm. And I think some of his films are kind of just lost as well and haven't been able to be fully recovered, which is really unfortunate. Um, But like, let's take a deep breath and be fortunate that we do have some history, that we have some evidence that certain films existed. And also there are certain films that we can still watch. A lot of that stuff you can um, check out on YouTube now. A lot of the free stuff, it's, well, it's free now. You can see it on YouTube in its entirety. And so you can get a kind of an idea for it. I'm excited about um, showing some old stuff in, in my classes next the, for the next two semesters that I, you can just easily see on YouTube and kind of bringing that kind of bridging the past to the present essentially. So, yeah. Um, but I've been just watching a lot of documentaries mm-hmm. uh, and a lot of uh, a lot of just dramas and comedies. I've just mostly been doing that. Mm-hmm. And also, you know, I'm not going to blame the pandemic, but you know, I can't. A movie, you know, being being a film lover, sometimes it takes a lot of concentration and a lot of energy to kind of like really set in and watch a film, especially with the distractions of your phone, all types of stuff. Mm-hmm. So uh, I usually kind of watch films uh, um, before I go to bed because that's the the time I really I have the less I have less distractions. Sometimes I can watch them during the, during the day just fine if I'm not in a movie theater, obviously. But yeah, I mean, for me, I've been watching, you know. I saw Kid 90 on Hulu, Exterminate All the Brutes, um, oh, Hysterical. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Hysterical is a documentary about female comedians. Uh, what Poly- else did I have I watched? You saw Polystyrene, the Polystyrene one. Yeah. Right. I yeah. saw that, which was, I wanted, I need to see that again. Because oh. I, unfortunately, I had to watch that at work. Because mm-hmm. um, yeah. I was like, I was watching it kind of live via the South by Southwest stream. Right. Yeah. But um, yeah, some really fantastic, I like learning about people's lives, like Tina, the Tina documentary. Mm-hmm. Um there's a new biggie one that came out that's on Netflix. That's, right. Um, 
it gets more into his childhood. Like you hear more from uh, Miss v- Miss Valletta Wallace, his mom. Mm-hmm. So you get to hear her talk more about him. Uh, a lot of stuff. I watched. I watched one of the Takashi Six Nine documentaries because <laughs> uh, even just uh, the true definition of a knucklehead. But um, again, <laughs> even if it's music history, I'm not familiar with. I'm still yeah. familiar. I'm familiar enough with the story to kind of be like, okay, I'll check this out and see what's going on. Mm-hmm. Um, the last blockbuster was interesting. Um, some of the people in that documentary annoyed me, but what's new? Uh, uh, 40 Years a Prisoner. I watched that one. That's about um, some of the move folks in Philadelphia who yes. were, you know, wrongfully imprisoned or have had exorbitant sentences, you know, just because of who they were. Not mm-hmm. just not only not only the color of their skin and their social economic conditions, but like what they what they kind of aroused in the Philadelphia police. Mm-hmm in this neighborhood i was telling not to i really want you to jump in at any time but i I was telling a friend of mine so here's my connection not to move but to to the philadelphia police my uh i believe he's my great grandfather or my grandfather i'm not sure which one my family history for those i'm not going to get into it but guys it's incredibly dysfunctional and it's full of secrets and adoptions and things that people people don't know unfortunately so um not he's not blood related to me, but he is. He was. I do carry his last name Blackwell. He was one of the first black police, not police men, but I think he was one of the first black um, like police lieutenants or sergeants. He was one. He was a high ranking. He was one of the first high ranking police um, officers in Philadelphia. Oh. And you know, for people who are not familiar with Frank Rizzo. Um, one of the, when his statue was um, taken, I believe his statue was taken down. For, forgive me if I'm getting um, facts wrong. Um, during like you know when the major uprisings and the protests were going on, and people were kind of um, taking down statues themselves. And my uncle was telling me how, you know, was staunchly saying how Frank Rizzo is not a racist. He helped our grandfather keep the house and our family. It's, the, it's a house I spent like the first year of my life in because it because it, it belonged to my grandmother. And then when she passed away, she left the house to my uncle. So my mom and me stayed there until my mom got her own place. My mom wanted her own apartment. So she's telling me all this stuff about how Frank Rizzo is this great guy. But I'm like, yeah, my, but what I understood, what I understand personally is that this is structural. This is not about one person. This my, it was my, grandfather was a cop he didn't he wasn't you know what i mean he, he was a cop first and a black man second in this in this if you if you want to consider this particular situation in case so of course he's going to help one of his fraternal brothers of the police order because you know but if, if he was if he was you know samuel I, I, oh my god i can't i don't even know his first name that's how fragmented my family is but it was about him being a cop. It wasn't if he was if he was you know, a, a if he was a bus driver. Do you think Frank Rizzo would give a damn? You know what I mean? Like mm. if he like if he was in any sort of other uh, civil servant type of uh, occupation, it, it wouldn't matter. And I didn't. Um, and I choose my battles. I don't feel I didn't feel like having that argument or conversation. But you know what I understand is just like you know it's sometimes. You know, people can, I, I guess the, the whole, what I'm trying to say is two things can be true at once. Mm-hmm. He helped this one black man, but he also structurally, <laughs> he, he's an institutional racist. He, he he did a lot of things that kind of um, 
that what that wasn't good for the city and it wasn't good for the people of color who lived here mm-hmm. and and to to not reckon with that just because he helped this one black family that's that's not that's not that's not enough mm-hmm. for for him to not you know get any sort of label that may be questionable or to even question um his views on race and different people so that's just what i wanted to say about that mm-hmm. um so and again you know all, all this, the, the story of move, all of this really tracks. Um, again, I live, I, I still live in the neighborhood where they were, uh, where, where they lived and was most prominent. I, I you know, I, I, as a kid, I lived um, there for a short period of time. Like, so I remember the news stories on the, the news because my mom was watching it intently. Mm-hmm. I asked her once, you know, back in the day, um, she gave me her side of the story, like what she remembers. And, you know, again, she remembers them. They were a nuisance to um, certain neighbors and also police, like law enforcers and things like that, because they did, they did cause a noise disturbance. Um, The, the, the sanitary conditions started to seep out to people in the neighborhood. So all of these different things. However, the other side of it was, was their philosophies and their ethos were really appealing to a lot of people. Um, and also what my mom was telling me how, you know, they really were starting to influence some of the Penn students who, or not, not just Penn, but some of the, um, students that who university students in the area. So this, this side of West Philly is, um, dominated by university of Pennsylvania and Drexel university. So all, so there's a, there's a lot going on that kind of crescendoed, unfortunately, until people losing their lives and really unfairly, mm-hmm. but 40 years a prisoner was about the ones who um, are still alive um, or, or were alive. And they were imprisoned for another incident before the move bombing on Osage Avenue. So um, yeah, that's, that was my long winded way to kind of like talk about 40 years of prisoner it was a really fantastic documentary i heard about it years before it was released because i got i got an opportunity to meet tommy oliver and talk to other people who were not not direct not involved in the project but were kind of monitor, monitoring it themselves all that jazz so yeah i just i've been really interested in kind of learning history and and kind of like absorbing the stuff and i and i like it most because i like it most um through the visual medium of film Mm -hmm. because right now again i'm so preoccupied with reading and studying for my classes so i'm so i can refresh my my memory about film criticism about all this stuff to be prepared so 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 it's hard to get into books like i used to uh so yeah it's 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 been it's been a good year for me um watching just getting in just steering away a little bit from horror narratives i still still, i still love them i still watch some every now and then but just getting into just like you know my like things are kind of evolving for me in general i think i've mentioned this on the podcast before Mm -hmm. yeah absolutely and that that i saw that documentary too and it was it really was a learning experience and it was so well done and really um it really tugged at the heartstrings too, you know, just like you was wanted to, I was really shocked at the whole situation. So um, it was a brilliant documentary. Yeah. But yeah, I, I totally get um staring away from the horror thing because I did, I just wanted to throw in a couple more docs. Um, there's one called subjects of desire and it is done by um, Jennifer Holness, and she is a like a producer in Toronto, um, a black woman uh, director, and it's just about black women and beauty standards, and it's really good. It's really, really, really good, um, 
And if anybody out there has a chance to see it, really check it. I think it's still doing the festival circuit, but um, I totally fangirl. There's um, a professor, uh, her name is Cheryl Thompson, and she lives in Toronto. And I totally fangirl her <laughs> because she's so smart and down to earth. And um, she wrote a book about black women, black women and the history of black women and their hair. And it's such a fascinating subject and she also did um some work on blackface in canada so she's so hey. brilliant yeah she's brilliant and this documentary is really fantastic so if you get a chance to watch it um i highly recommend it and then the other one was um it was from hot docs um this year uh, in toronto called uh, firestarter the story of bangara and it's about the black aboriginals in australia and how they connected back to their culture because they also had uh, having their culture squashed basically like the indigenous people here in Canada. And so they reclaimed their culture through dance. So they created this dance company and it's such a good documentary. It just, it, I challenge you if you're not crying by the end of it, but it's really great. So yeah, those are the other two I had to shout out. <laughs> I want to see both. And you know, I want to see subjects of desire because I've been trying to figure out for years why people don't want us. Oh, listen, it's really complex. The way they um, pose everything, it's so brilliant. It's really, really well done. And um, yeah, I won't spoil it for you, but there's a there's some really interesting people they interview. <laughs> Yeah, I can't wait. Yeah. I'm so I'm jazzed about this one. Hopefully, yeah. they'll get. I'm I'm going to assume it's it's going to be picked up by a streaming service, but who knows? Mm -hmm. Oh, I'm sure it will. Yeah, it's been really um, blowing people away. Um, and I mean, you know, just as a one more comment, you know, we're okay to take away from. We're okay to mine, but when we try to um, enforce our beauty and our looks and our styles, we get ridiculed. You know. So. Yeah, because that, because that, to, to me, that kind of makes that statement null and void. Because mm -hmm. because we have a there's a track record of we're mind, and then you know what we do is awful and ghetto, and it it is it denigrates us. But when other other women and other cultures do it, oh, it's fashionable, it's exotic, it's new, it's fresh, it's hip. Mm -hmm. So if that's the if that's the trajectory, then you can't mind mm -hmm. Jack. No, and mm -hmm. I, I was telling someone else on the on. I was I kept it real. I was talking to a friend last night, and I'm just like talking about double dutch. How girls in high school used to play double dutch before clap before um home almost every um weekday. And then when the white girls started doing it, they felt some type of way because mm. it's just like because because then it because it's like it's this, and they were reacting in the way a black person who's living uh, specifically talking about the United States how they would kind of react to that because there's a history there's a history of them taking either le not letting us practice our culture or just downright stealing it mm -hmm. and taking it as their own and so you again these are teenagers now so you can't like they they are reacting to what they kind of already understand about the world already as teenagers um mm -hmm. there's um there's, I think it's so you want to talk about. It's a Twitter hand. It's a um, not a Twitter. It's an Instagram account where they kind of talked about um, how I think it, they were pretty much talking about how you talk to children about race, and a lot of the statistics kind of talked about how kids have a good concept of race and how how it works and operates. You know, 
I believe by the time they're like five and then by the time they're teenagers, they kind of have, you know, set ideas of um, socialization um, re- regarding uh, that, the idea of race, because it's not, it's not biological, it's not set, it's a social system. So yeah, that's how I kind of feel about it too. It's not mm-hmm. that I just, unfortunately, this, I, again, I don't make, ex- I don't, make excuses for the world. I'm kind of at a point in my life where I'm just like, it is what it is. Mm-hmm. I know there are still people who want to change things, but I got to be honest, I don't see shit changing. Mm-hmm. Um, I just don't. Um, yeah. And that's just not, I guess I'm out of, I'm kind of out of that window as far as believing and hoping. I just don't see it. I, the only thing I can change is myself. Yeah. So, and that's what I'm going to continue to do. And I'm going to continue to do the best I can to positive, have positive impact, but pfft, the world and kidding <laughs> so that's my long-winded way of kind of just saying like it would again carolyn in a perfect world we could exchange cultures but you, you got a you got a history of you know unmelanated people stealing uh, and not giving us credit don't get me started about swing dancing okay because every time oh boy i see that ish mm-hmm. i just i i see red that's all i'm gonna say <laughs> <laughs> So I just thought, you know, there used to be like swing dancing groups here in Toronto, whatever. Mostly, actually, I would say 100% white. And I'm like, you know, I have a dance background. I would love to see what would happen if I showed up to one of these swing dancing <laughs> Because it's like, oh, well, what's she doing here? Listen, bitch. Ooh. <laughs> let me let me give you a little bit of a lesson here. You know, where did swing dancing come from? Idiots. Anyway, <laughs> but that, you know, I kind of maybe I'm projecting and I'm just kind of you know, stopping myself before I actually try. But also, <laughs> I don't want to be like the fly in the milk. You know what I'm saying? And like, yeah, be the yeah. only person there. And then, yeah, anyway, it's a whole, that's a whole other can of worms. But yeah, it really is. I yeah. hear you, though. Yeah. Because uh, uh, again, our God rest the dead, Paul Mooney, he mm-hmm. he said he said this before. He he is <laughs> unapologetic. That's why I loved him so much, and that's why I thought he was hilarious because yeah. he didn't he didn't hold back ever, and he pretty much said that he was like you know he was he did a stand up routine and somebody reminded me of this recently because I had seen it before. It was it's just been I haven't seen it for years though. But when she was talking about it again, I was like, oh, I remember that bit where he was talking about it was like talking to the black audience. He was just like, don't like me too much. White people will take me. And you know, I, I, that's that, again, he's talking as a veteran, as a man. What was he, 81 years old when he passed away? Yeah. He, he's been doing, he's from the South. He was from the South. He's been doing this. He's, he, he's been doing this for a long time. Like race is his, was his nucleus of, of 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 material so he talked about he like you know they took tina turner they took diana ross like you know what i mean they took lana ritchie you know you remember how paul me needs to talk yeah. um, you know what i mean so yeah. that's but that's he's getting at that point that we yeah. constantly talk about it's just like you know even even in the documentary afropunk which is like one of my favorite um documentaries mm-hmm. ever yeah. they, there's young young people talking about you know i remember this one um young young man talking about how you know we we gave culture to this, you know, my people gave culture to this country, but, you know, we're, we're, we're naturally welcoming people. We welcome each people into our house and our ways and stuff like that, but don't just come in and try to take over. Mm-hmm. And that's, and, and that's kind of, and again, I'm just kind of reasserting these kind of sentiments because I agree with them. I understand them. Um, I think it's unfortunate. Like I said, like I would love to be able to have these cultural exchanges, but that's just not possible without feeling like somebody is just going to completely debo and take from our people this continued dis- disenfranchisement mm-hmm. of black people where we can't even build wealth on the things we create. Yeah. And I just think that's unfortunate. 
Yeah, it really is. Uh, so actually, this is a really good segue into the next film we're going to talk about because it's directed by a white director, but it's a black cast. It's a very black film, actually. Yep. And we talk about like, you know, we, we get we get a little bit into that again, the ins and outs of that as well. Um mm-hmm. I'm not gonna not gonna do it do it now, even though I'm tempted to. But yeah, this was a great episode. Carolyn picked a excellent, fantastic film to kick off, you know, to kind of bookmark our one year um anniversary. We started in Juneteenth of twenty twenty. Um, this is now Juneteenth of twenty twenty one, and Black Orpheus is an extension of a celebration of culture, of blackness, of really fine things. Um mm-hmm. It, it kind of it, it it does what I love sometimes. Sometimes you can, hell, didn't Black Orpheus kind of take from something white and make it their own? I love it. Love to see it. Yeah, love to see it. <laughs> so yeah, did I get you to watch a musical? It didn't feel like a musical because of the theme and the plot and what basically what the plot was like encased by. It didn't feel like a musical. So no, I ain't watched a musical. I watched uh <laughs> I actually watched a movie where there was music in it that would have actually made sense, where people didn't just burst out into singing for no good goddamn reason. <laughs> she watched a musical. No, I watched a musical. It wasn't no, a musical. I'm not I'm not really a, a musical person either, but yeah. Yeah. Yeah, but you but no one I, I'm sure I can find people who hate them as much as I do, but yeah. <laughs> you are more tolerant than I am. Yeah. So when you mentioned it, I was just like, I don't know. But then I'm watching it, I'm just like, oh, okay, I can dig this because it feels because if for I, it's interesting for me, someone who is I'm just gonna put it out there, I'm a music snob. I um I make no apologies for it. I grew up in a certain time, certain era. The echoes of what my parents listened to are in me and what I grew up listening to is in me. And so anything after, honestly, 2000 is very hit or miss. And mostly a lot of the music I, I listen to is the stuff that you don't hear on the radio or on television. So that being said, for someone who loves music as deeply as I do, me, I hate musicals. I really, really do. <laughs> I can I can understand that. A lot of the musicals are out there are kind of uh I don't know. It it really depends for me. They have to be really fun or it just has to be, there has to be something unique about it for me to really get into it. So, like there's a new musical out now that I just could not I could barely watch like the first 10 minutes of it. I was just like I cannot I cannot deal. And it's kind of sad because um uh it's in the heights. And oh, I really, yeah. I really wanted to see it, I, but I just, I couldn't. It was too frenetic. It was really, it was like a cast of thousands. It was too. There was too much going on, which is weird because the movie we're going to talk about today is very frenetic. I was going to say, wait a minute, yeah, yeah. <laughs> what's the difference? Yeah, it's very frenetic. It's very. There's a lot going on, but I, I for some reason, well, you know, uh, there is a big reason why I chose the 1959 film Black Orpheus. Thank you. 
um, the reason why I picked it is because I remember seeing it like on AMC when I, I had cable many moons ago and, or no, it's not AMC. I think it was TCM. Yeah. TCM. And, um, I was like, Oh my God, this woman looks exactly like my mother when she was 16. So really, I immediately glommed onto this movie because she really, it's not that they looked like they were carbon copies and they looked exactly alike. There was just something about her face. Her eyes reminded me of my mother. Um, the dress she was wearing reminded me of my mother. And I was just hooked on that movie. And then seeing all these beautiful black Brazilian people singing and dancing and the spectacle of it. And there's also like a cultural connection too for me. So yeah, I just felt kind of fell in love with the movie. And then there's a rabbit hole that I fell down and I'm still in it. And we'll talk about that later about this film. <laughs> so Ashley, what did you think? Uh, yeah, it was the, this was my first time seeing it and I, I enjoyed it. I, cause I, I, I enjoyed it for exactly what it was. Um, there are some plot things that were a little interesting to me. Um, I'm not also, was this, this was adapted from, well, the concept was adapted from something older, correct? Yes. So it, it's um, adapted from a play called Orfeo do Concessiao, um, and it's by a playwright and a poet. His name is uh, Vincentius de Moraes, I believe. Hopefully I'm not butchering his name. So he was like a famous poet in uh, Brazil. And um, so he had done this play, and then the film was adapted um, from the play. But it's actually based on Orpheus and Eurydice, so and their love and him going down to Hades to find her because she dies. So it's this whole kind of Greek mythology. Then it was created into a play uh, and then a film. So, okay. Again, yeah. um, totally unfamiliar with all of that property that that's yeah. kind of my blind spot. They tried to force feed Greek mythology into me during my undergrad days. Mm -hmm. That I, honestly is one of the reasons why I hopped and ditched my first college and transferred to another one. Cause I'm just like, uh, I'm paying you. So I'm going to choose the education of what I want to learn. So, yeah. I, <laughs> so I, it's not something I'm interested in at all, but if you put a, di a diasporic uh, spin on it, then I'm all, then I'm all in. Um, I, I did it. I really enjoyed it. I even got to a point, some, the streaming was kind of like messing with me a little bit. Cause I was mm -hmm. trying to like rewind it to go back to something I feel like I missed. And mm -hmm. then my, my HBO max kind of conked out and I was really annoyed. Cause I'm like, I want to finish this movie. I'm actually enjoying this. Mm -hmm. And I eventually did, but ugh, I hate when those glitches, when those technical glitches happen, but no, I mean, from my perspective, as someone with no knowledge, no background knowledge about any of this at all, mm -hmm. this I'm going to say, <laughs> this is love and this was basically love and bossa nova, basically <laughs> akin to love and hip hop because if this felt like an episode of love and hip hop, a sands the death. <laughs> oh right, oh it really like did. Cool. Yeah, that's a, that's actually a cool connection. Yeah, especially yeah. with especially with Miss Mira, I believe that was her name. Uh, oh yeah, Mira. Yes, I <laughs> the mean, like, <laughs> the prototype of like she looked like those chicks on Love and Hip Hop too, like down yeah. to a T, and yeah. even had the attitude. Like, yep. <laughs> and then even her cousin Serafina, oh, again, yeah. say 
same I've seen the same girl on Love and Hip Hop as well, or woman, if you want to say. Like uh, these are very familiar characters. Um, I will say I cannot pronounce the main actress's character's first name. I can't pronounce it. Uh, oh, but you're 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 Eurydice. I know it's <laughs> forgive me I'm not going to be able to do that throughout this episode yeah. but like yeah. that's Marpesa, Marpesa Dawn because yes. I, I, I was looking at her I'm just like why does she look so familiar so she's done some like genre films as well oh. I don't I, yeah I don't remember them off the top of my head but yeah, yeah. she that's why that's why she's looking at because she kind of looks like Marlene Clark they have a similar look they do like, yeah yeah they basically if they if they were going for an audition for the same role they would it, you would it wouldn't be a surprise because they look so much alike, but mm. no, she's been in some other stuff. I just can't remember at the, at the moment, but the casting was fantastic. I'll say. Yeah. And I enjoyed it for what it is. Yeah. You always heard drums in the background. It was just like mm. the movie had a, had a positive vibrational kind of a pull because it was um, centered around uh, the carnival celebrations that they have in mm-hmm. Rio de Janeiro. Is it Rio mm-hmm. de Janeiro or another part of Brazil? Yeah. No, it's re- yeah, Rio, Rio de Janeiro. Yeah. yeah. So, and I thought that was fantastic. I wonder mm. if that's how it is. Um, I don't know if you know, have any knowledge of it. I don't. Um, apparently, I didn't want to bring it up, but my mother, I think, went to Carnival when she's a teenager, but okay. I don't think it was a good experience for her. <laughs> well, so I, I never got a full story. But <laughs> Well, yeah. Okay. So um, I'll give you the synopsis because the film is set during Carnival uh, in Rio de Janeiro. So Basically, it's um, the myth of Orpheus and Eurydice, uh, and it's set during the Brazilian carnival. So um, Orfeu is a trolley, trolley driver who falls for Eurydice, and she's a new girl who's come to Rio from the country to visit her cousin, Serafina, and she hides from a man she's convinced is trying to kill her. So he's followed her into the city. Um, so uh, Orfeu is en- engaged to Mira, but he's not thrilled about the upcoming marriage. And um, despite being attached, he falls in love with Eurydice. So Eurydice is on the run from this guy she thinks is trying to kill her. And also now from Mira, who discovers the love <laughs> that Orfeo has for Eurydice. Um, so then uh, an accident occurs and um, death takes Eurydice uh, to the underworld and Orfeo looks for her. Um, and that leads to his own demise. So um, the film stars Breno Mello as Orfeo, Marpesa Don, as we mentioned, as Eurydice, uh, Lourdes de Oliveira as Mira, Leah Garcia as Serafina, and Adamar da Silva as Death. There's a few other people as well in the film, but those are the main characters. So, yes, it takes place uh, during uh, Carnival. And... I, I mean, I kind of have a cultural connection to this because my family's from Trinidad and they have a carnival. So it's it's the same thing, basically. The carnival happens before Lent. So it's just basically you get your yayas out, you drink. Uh. Yeah, and that actually has a connection to um, kind of Roman, a Roman back, background because there's a lot of um, like references to bacchanal like there's calypsos that talk about bacchanal which is like you know you just have fun and and drink and and party and that's kind of an homage to the god of wine bacchus and uh or dionysus and saturnalia and you know there's like a a big history a long history of that so 
you know, there's a connection to like the mythology, Roman mythology, Greek mythology, um, in terms of having that kind of blowout. Um, and I think it, it's, if I'm not mistaken, it's um, the Romans let their their slaves have like party for a bit. So basically mm-hmm. they release them to yeah. have fun. So that's part of the whole thing. So, and it's trickled down into South American Caribbean culture as carnival. So, yeah. It's interesting you say that because someone was talking, um, someone had told me something, just thinking about uh, how, you know, um, the particular components of African roots and how they were dispersed throughout the world. And, you know, the especially the Caribbean versus the United States, because mm-hmm. we've we've pers- we've one on one talked about some of the tensions between the, those two groups at times. And um, a friend of mine was talking to a Haitian friend of hers. You know, her mother was around, but they were kind of they were kind of grappling with this um, this idea. And one of the things about especially about how how our, how different our cultures can be, especially if even if you are um, a first, second gen you know, born and raised in the United States, but you still have those, but you still have those familial roots when you go home, when you do family functions, all those kinds of things. And her Haitian friend was kind of talking to her, like, you know, mentioned to her mom, just talking about like the fact that like, you know, they, they didn't take their drums, but the black people in America, they took our drums, but some people in the Caribbean, they, they, they were able to keep their drums. Mm-hmm. And how, you know, certain, like, and again, that was kind of like the one thing that kind of helped give a sense of, um, a sense of pride, a sense of preservation mm-hmm. that one can argue was almost essentially stripped from Black Americans specifically. Yeah. So, um, yeah. So when I watch things like this, it's, I'm watching people, again, who look like me, but we're so very vastly different. Mm-hmm. Um, cause I have no connection to any of this, mm-hmm. but I do find it really, so I do f- watch it as something to reverence. And I'm also interested too. I'm like, well, this looks like fun. This looks, but this, but, but I'm so culturally removed from it. I remember when I used to work at a, a, a clinic and we had a Brazilian, um, client and she was lovely and we were talking about carnival and like, oh, do you ever go back? She goes, are you kidding me? <laughs> she goes, <laughs> She goes, it's so dangerous. Oh, wow. <laughs> but it's, and it, it's funny because um, I have a, one of my very close friends, she's like, um, like we grew up together. Um, she's Trinidadian as well, like same background as me. And she goes every year. Well, obviously not the last couple of years, but she was every year back to Trinidad to, as they, for carnival to quote unquote play mass. Right. Mm-hmm. So, or masquerade. And so she says that, you know, a lot of the Caribbean countries, while they, you know, everybody goes on vacation and they ha- go to the resorts and whatever, you really do have to know where you're going because, I mean, things aren't that great in the Caribbean and, and it, it kind of mirrors Brazil as well. It's not mm-hmm. as drastic as Brazil, but, um, you know, there are people who are living in poverty and people who don't have a lot. And if you go in the wrong neighborhood, you will get mugged because you're you're an outsider, right? Right. So... You know, when you have these large crowds, I mean, it's an opportunity for people to take advantage of. If you don't have a lot, people are going to take advantage of it. So it's kind of like a poor, if you're in a poor country, you got to watch where you're going. Mm -hmm. 
So, you know, it just, it is what it is. And it's nobody's fault except the government that's looking after the country, but that's another thing, <laughs> right? So, <laughs> right. Yeah. And I mean, there's classism, there's uh, colorism, it's huge in the Caribbean. And uh, it's funny, maybe we'll get into it later, but also in Brazil, like, and, and it's funny because Black Orpheus is a kind of a landmark film because it's got all, an all black cast and some of the cast came from an experimental troupe um, called uh, Teatro Experimental de Negro or 10 and they were basically that was created so that they could have a a theater group comprised of black people so um, it's really interesting but there's the controversy of the director being a white man from France, a Frenchman. Oh, so, really? Yeah. So the director is white and he is French. So there lies the controversy because um, in Brazil, a lot of people didn't like the film because they felt he was like a tourist and he was coming into Brazil and kind of appropriating their culture and putting it up on the screen. But then you have this film that exposed Brazilian culture even though it was kind of a shiny version of it and exposed the world to Brazil and Bossa Nova and Samba. So, I mean, I had some good things, but then I was just thinking just before we were recording that um, Brazilians kind of had thought of ways about Black Orpheus because they're like, oh, it's not really, it's not done by a Brazilian. Don't know if it's really representing us. However, the play, the original play, which um, the writer, uh, Moraz, he hated the movie. He was very upset. But he's a white presenting Brazilian. And he's mm-hmm. writing about African culture, which he was obsessed with. And, you know, you, and then there's another director. And his name is Carlos Diagas, I believe. So he didn't like Black Orpheus either. He thought that it wasn't representing Brazilian culture. So he did his own version called Orfeo in 1999. And he's white presenting. <laughs> wow. So all of y'all are fighting over <laughs> this black film, like with black actors. And it's like, y'all don't have any claim on it. But going back to the colorism, Brazilians don't um, classify themselves through race. They're more through color. So Right, right. Yeah. So it's like kind of a color system there. So it's just, it's kind of a murky um background to this film with the controversy where there's like these white presenting Brazilians who don't consider themselves white because um, the actress that played Serafina mm-hmm. um, her name I believe is Leah Garcia so she was saying that there's a really good documentary by the way on this film called um, Looking for Black Orpheus um, and she was in it and she was saying yeah there's colorism is huge there so everybody knows that they come from African stock, but they just latch on to their proximity to whiteness. Mm-hmm. Of so course, of it's, course. Re- it's really fast. Like the whole thing. That's why I was saying it's a rabbit hole because I'm like, I love this movie. It reminds me of my mom. And then I'm like, uh oh, <laughs> all the stuff associated with it. So, yeah. So my question or my kind of prompt is as far as the context of 1915, 1959- 1959 it's to me it's fine that the director was white because all because a lot of the directors were 
mm-hmm. um, during that time, during, during this time specifically. I don't, you know, because I, I don't know how much room was given to more African presenting filmmakers in Brazil to create the work that they wanted to create. Also, I guess this is a, this is a question for a filmmaker. I'm I'm always curious about this particular. Uh, I've all this has always been kind of a prompt for not a prompt, but like a, a question or a desire to kind of learn. Because I, 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 I haven't fully grasped it. But what? So my question for for a filmmaker would be, what's different, especially a black filmmaker? How is a, a story or a film centered around black characters different in the hands of a white director or a black director. I'm, I truly don't understand that yet mm-hmm. or can fully understand that. Cause I don't have a filmmaker's eye. I don't really know how to, how they, how they see, th- how, how just, I need like, I need like concrete technical examples to maybe like fully grasp and go, Oh, okay. I, I understand what that means. Mm-hmm. Cause I'm just like, because because I would I would want to understand what an African Brazilian or a more darker skinned Brazilian to go, to to go to your point would mm-hmm. do Black Warfare differently. Yeah, yeah, and it's weird because I don't know. Say for instance, and I'm I'm just completely spitballing here, but say like a a dark skinned African Brazilian were to do a film, right? Who's to say that they wouldn't cast lighter skin? you know, um, actors, because maybe they see that as a representative of, of like good, or, you know what I'm saying? Like, it's really hard to say, but I feel like there's nuances that perhaps would come through with a black filmmaker that, that white filmmakers just can't, they don't grasp, Okay, you know? So I think maybe that's what it is, is that there are just some nuances that won't be grasped when, you know, a black filmmaker is going to make it. But I mean, when you're looking at black Orpheus, I think that they, you know, they, they have, they're not, they don't have like just light skin actors. They have black skin people, dark skin people, light skin people, poor people. I mean, they're in the favelas, you know? Right. So, and like, like apparently in the documentary, they were saying that the favelas are no longer like that, obviously, because now they're, they're run by, drug lords and and crime lords i think the favelas yeah the favelas came out of people not having a place to live like enslaved uh, africans being freed um there were soldiers that um needed a place to live after there was a a particular war that was a battle there and then or um, people moving in from the the country to the city they all didn't have any any place to live so the favelas were created um and now they're being you know run by drug lord they're just they're not particularly safe and i think that during covid there was some major issues going on with um drug lords controlling them as well so um you know they're basically slums that people live in and um i know there was one critique of of uh, black orpheus by a brazilian saying oh yeah i'm so glad that poor people can be that happy but it's like you know people live in bad areas and they're allowed to be happy (laughs) you know carnival comes once a year for three days they can prepare and they can have something to look forward to you know yeah because my point was going to be you know are is it okay is one of the nuances being okay these people are poor living in the slum so shouldn't you show shouldn't there be a balance um shouldn't there be like yes they're happy and carnival's here that's fantastic but also 
I'm still living in abject poverty. So it's not all uh, singing and dancing and happiness and sunshine. Mm. Yeah. Well, I think um, that some of the translations of the songs, basically, they kind of conveyed that if I'm not mistaken, I don't know if anybody else um, would know. Um, but it just seems like, you know, we're poor, um, but we're going to have a good time. Um, there's sadness, but, you know, hey, we're going to enjoy the moment. I think a lot of the songs conveyed that um, that feeling that it's just like kind of, kind of a celebratory time, even though they lived like in basically in shacks. But they're just going to have fun. And um, another note, I did ask my friend because <laughs> when I was watching this film, I'm like, okay, I'm going to message my friend. I'm like, do 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 people who are like pretty much poor in Trinidad, do they kind of, you know, throw caution to the wind with Carnival? She goes, are you kidding me? People will not pay their bills for a month to get ready for Carnival. And then wow. in, in Black Orpheus, there's a scene where Orfeo goes to the pawn shop to get his guitar. And you see everybody lining up to go hawk something to get money so that they could buy their costumes for Carnival. So it's not it's not a lie. It's kind of true. People will, I mean, I mean, you think, you know, girls who are living in the projects, they might want to get their hair done. You know, you get your nails done. I've done it. I ain't rich, but I'll save up. <laughs> you know, I'll save up if I want something, if I want to get my hair done or something. It's, it's just, it's the life of a poor person, a person that doesn't have a lot of money. You will save up. You kind of shuffle things around so that you can enjoy that moment or that thing. I mean, it just, it's just a life thing if you don't have money. So, yeah. So it sounds like Carnival is, it's cultural, but it's, it's maybe even spiritual. It's, it's much more, it's th something that is taken very seriously for, yeah. for varying different reasons. Absolutely. And yeah. Because if people are doing that, then it must, it must, it must be more than just a party. Mm -hmm. You know, it, it must, it, it, it must, it, it does. I'm certain mean, mean much more to that. If, if people are, you know, putting all of that energy into it. Yeah, absolutely. Because it's, it's, I mean, it's associated with like religious, you know, um, ceremonies. Like, so you you go, you knock yourself out, you get drunk, you know, pass out in the street and then Lent comes and you have to give everything up. And it's, it's to, you know, geared towards a religious celebration. It's geared towards Eastern, you know, and that sort of thing. So, um, yeah, there's a big spiritual aspect to it where it's kind of ingrained, you know. And I guess like Catholicism and Christianity where it's kind of like you either go all go all the way or go home i guess you know you're you're very devout like i mean they're very religious there and so you know in in trinidad too i mean there's a lot of different religions i believe um christianity christianity and and um hinduism and i believe muslim i think those are probably the top um religions there but you know people really go for broke when it's like a religious holiday so yeah I wouldn't energy. say I wouldn't say carnival is a religious holiday, but it's the build up towards right. one, I guess. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I mean, there was a religious ceremony in the third act too. Yes. So I don't yeah, forgive me. I don't know what they're practicing. Yeah, um, neither did I. I wasn't sure. Um, but I they had mentioned that it's um Umbanda and it's and condom candomble, I believe. So it's oh. yeah, it's a mix of African 
um, like from the motherland religion. Right. Um, and apparently that was an actual ceremony that they had in the film. So I, um, the director was applauded for kind of respecting that, um, you know, that actual ceremony and having people really perform it. So, yeah. Cause I, th- I think it gives the flavor that I think people are looking for, regardless of the color mm-hmm. of the director, because Again, he kind of let the scene kind of roll out, but it was he also incorporated that very African practice mm-hmm. or, or com- mixed practice, as you, you might say, into the plot of him trying to find Eredisi. I don't know if yeah. I said it right. Yeah, yeah, Eredisi. Yeah, <laughs> it's a um, hard one. <laughs> yeah, I couldn't. I just I gave up on like trying to like think it even out in my head while I was watching the film last night. But yeah, so I. I thought that worked and I thought that was really nice. It looked like to me, it did, it reminded me of Voldoon a little bit. Um, mm. The possession mm. part mostly. Yeah. Um, well, it's all it, connected though, isn't it? It's all, yeah, it's, it, also, yeah. it is all very connected. Yes. Yeah. But um, I, it also carnival, I mean, obviously you have Mardi Gras in Louisiana, right? So same thing, right? So I think it's similar. Yeah. I mean, yeah. yeah. It's like, yeah, it's the same. So it's same, different, different, same. Yeah. For lack of a better um, way to put that. But yeah, speaking of that, because you were talking about how dangerous things can get, like I, when I was, I think I was in New Orleans around the time of Mardi Gras or some semblance of a celebration. And my, my Lyft driver was like, uh, yeah, people, there's, they, they have like, like tactics of like they have plans of how to rob or get over on people. You know, so talking about how there's, you're, you're in a place that's, that's there's a celebration, there's a, so many people around and some of the natives or some people um, will find a way to rob you. If, you know, if you, unfortunately you can get got. And he's like, I forget what he, I forget what he was telling me. He was like, yeah, there's some sort of a um, cell phone kind of a scheme that is rolled out. If I remember correctly. And I was like, Oh wow. Okay. He was like, yeah, just be careful. And I'm just like, uh, you know, 10, four to that or copy. (laughs) If I do like a blacks and cinema course or something like that for like a class, I would, te- mm. I would show this. This is really, um, this was really fantastic. And it was, this is the only thing that feels like a musical mm. I would show um, because I, I do, but I'm also <laughs> watching a film completely blind and also something that has a culture that is completely foreign to me. Mm. Yeah. It's, it's weird because I don't even okay I don't even like carnival I don't like it as a Trinidadian I've gotten my Trinidadian you've never done it I mean so I've had two experiences with it so there's a carnival when when I was a kid and they do it in Toronto and they would go down this particular it was called it's called Queens Park so there's a, a a major road that runs downtown and they would go down Queens Park. And my dad was an artist, a photographer. He did a lot of paintings based on um, Carnival, right? And we would go with his camera. We'd go as a family. And it was a family affair. And we would watch and fine. As the years progressed, um, there's like an amalgamation of all the Caribbean islands. Um, and it includes everybody. And now it's more of a... Um, I would say it's 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 adopted a bit of hip hop culture, and it's now a lot of young people um, who are ready to turn up. <laughs> Is that how you say it? <laughs> I think get, it's turn up. <laughs> get, 
turned up. I think I don't know. I think you get turned and then get it's turned up. And you're okay. And again, we are women who are 35 plus, so we yeah. don't know what these kids be saying all the time. I don't know anything. I don't know what the kids say, but they go get hurt, and everybody goes oh. drinking, <laughs> and they go out and they get lit, and, and like it's just oh God. a completely <laughs> different thing. Also, I don't like crowds. I I do have moderate anxiety, and I do not like crowds. And it's too hot, and I'm I'm old, and I don't want to stand up in the hot sun. Also, the here in Toronto, they emphasize the crime a bit too much. Like there's always a shooting or something and they're like, oh, you know, carnival, uh, uh, there's a big shooting and people are in danger. And it's like, calm down, you know, like they just seem to emphasize the crime a lot here. So there, it's, mm-hmm. it, it's kind of coded whenever Carabana or well, they used to call it Carabana, whenever the carnival comes, um, it's coded. And they're like, oh, all the black people are coming into town. Like Americans come high and low to to toronto for um carnival so it's a big deal here it's a big money maker but they still want to code it as something that's black dangerous you know the the typical right yeah so and there's like there's a lot of there's a lot of really good articles that have been written about that actually um and that coding but um it's a big deal and so i don't go to it now in this kind of iteration i don't go to that one because i'm i can't I can't, I just can't do it. I, and I can't do the crowds, but you know, it's, it's more for young people now. Like I think Drake has like a big kind of uh, presence for the carnival thing. I don't know, whatever, but um, yeah. So I don't go to it now, but it was a big family affair for us in the seventies. So, you know, and it's, it's had a, has a long history here in Toronto. Um, and then I have a friend of a friend who goes to Trinidad as well. Um, to play mass and that's a big thing like the samba schools and the mass camps in trinidad are Mm -hmm. similar things so like you have like you prepare so as soon as carnival's over like maybe a month later they're planning the next costumes the next songs the next dances so it's a big thing people look forward to it it doesn't matter how much how much money you have you are you are in it so and it's a big deal to be in a, a samba school or a mass camp so yeah so let's get into the plot a little bit. So, oh yes, you know we follow Eridice. Yeah. <laughs> you're, you're, yeah, and everyone's commenting her on her looks as she go on her she goes on her journey. It's basically she's going. To, is she going to visit her cousin for carnival? Kind of, and she's also trying to escape the guy that's following her. Right. So, and that, and that was, and again, I didn't under, so I'm glad you met, I'm glad you gave a lot of background because I'm just like, this death thing doesn't, I don't understand what's happening. Mm -hmm. But if within the context of the play and the Greek mythology, it's just like, oh, okay, okay, okay. Or is this movie, I I feel like I read that this movie was supposed to come off as impressionistic or surrealist. Am I correct? I would say, yeah, Um, because it's also, it's a fantasy film, right? It's a fantasy film. Right, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. and that uses the Brazilian culture and carnival as a backdrop. So, I I mean, when you look at it that way, right, it's interpretive. So you can't really fault the director for directing it and creating it the way he did. I mean, I'm just saying it's interpretation, but whatever. Anyway, go on. She arrives in Rio. Mm -hmm. And she meets Orfeo, is that how it's pronounced? Yeah, Orfeo, yeah. 
because I, I was just gonna say Orpheus. Yeah, you can say just, Orpheus. Yeah, <laughs> but I was gonna say it with that with that finesse, that Orpheus. I was gonna put a little bit of stank on it, but <laughs> I'll say Orfeo. But um, so oh, that's the other thing about um, Orfeo. That was my other um, stray observation. Real quick, it was just mm-hmm. like, why did we, why were women acting like he was the only man in town? I don't know. <laughs> I mean, good looking cat, but see, this is this is what I, we were just having this conversation where we not an hour mm-hmm. ago. Mm-hmm. Never trust a good looking man, never, because there's way <laughs> too many women that want to get after him. Yeah, way too many women. It's just like I, that's why I rather I'm just like I'm not even gonna bother. Yeah. Because you're oh. just too good looking. Yeah. And you've got women fighting over you, want to know where you at every five minutes. I mean, of, co- of course he was trying to get away from Mira. Because you just, I mean, every second, of every day that when he was not working. And then she did that. Uh, like, was this, is she a carbon? Is this, is this a generational thing? Like, what is this passed down from like certain women to certain women? Is this, this is this. Like sh- like archetype of a, like of what would these what would these women be described as the woman who always wants to be in her man's pocket no yeah. not only his man's pocket but don't let me don't let him out of don't let him out of your sight like this controlling yeah well it's kind energy. of like a, a sapphire right like I felt like there she, you go yeah she was kind of like a sapphire and I didn't I didn't quite like that because he is treat he wasn't treating her very well I mean he was kind of a dick. If you, if was you he? I don't know. I just felt like, I mean, you're just going along for the ride. You're in a, you saying, yeah, yeah, okay, I'll get you a. Oh, I can't afford to get you a ring. And then she's like, well, I I'll buy the ring and you pay me back. And I'm like, guy, just like either sh- you know, shit or get off the pot. Like, <laughs> you don't really like her, but you're just going along. I mean, I know there's a lot of people, there are a lot of men, the men and women who have done that. You're like, well you know, they're there. So I'll get married to them or, you know, I'll be in a relationship. They're just passing time. So yeah, but she was quite the the sapphire, but uh, which I mean, I didn't, didn't like, I, I liked her character a lot. I just thought, oh, and her dress. Oh my God. Give me that dress, please. <laughs> oh my God. Anyway. um, Yeah. She was a lot. She she was definitely drawn out in that way uh, yeah. for the plot. Like again, we don't have we don't have background for what their relationship was like prior to when we meet them. But yeah, I, I agree. He should have just he should have just been like, bye, Felicia. But yeah. Also, I mean, along with Sapphire being the Sapphire stereotype, I it kind of bothered me, and it still does. And every time I see it, is Serafina and her boyfriend Chico, and like he's like this oaf. And, you know, he's kind of stupid and all he wants to do is eat. And they're supposed to be the comedic relief, right? Right. But then when oh, when she's feeding him the watermelon. Oh, uh, I know. it. I can. I understand oh, where you're going. Yeah. The, I, I was thinking the same thing. I was just like, okay, let me not get too into it with this. Yeah. But this does look, at, just because of the context of it, because of the historical context of it. Yeah, it's just exactly. Like, yeah. Um, so again, I was like, is, is it too, is it such a bad thing that it was a white director? And then when we see stuff like that and the yeah. way his character acts and again, skin color plays a part in it because Orfeo's a little bit lighter. Mm-hmm. Um, Marpessa uh, Mir- has a bit Mar- more refined she's features. More, yeah. Yeah. She's and also, yeah, definitely. I, I was 
thinking that because I was thinking about because I was re- I watched the um another movie that just that's coming out of Brazil recently too, and I was kind of annoyed by the fact that like all of the um almost all of the prominent female roles in it are more white presenting Brazilians, and there's no, there's no black women presenting mm-hmm. Brazilians or African. Mm-hmm presenting mm-hmm. Brazilians um, in it that have like prominent speaking roles. But then in this one, it has, a, it's more of a variety mm-hmm. for sure. Yes. But um, you do still don't see those stereotypes. Like I was looking at Mira and again, I'm looking, I'm looking from the black American context of it. Yes. Like the whole idea of quote, acting all light skinned and which is kind of what she was doing in the movie and you know um again i can't but i again these are just kind of stray observations kind of side they're more so sidebars because of the fact that this is a film um that was released in 1959 and mm-hmm. it's a movie that is very brazilian so i can't so i it's like it's almost there I don't, I, don't, I don't think the word is false equivalency but like it's not but like as a but looking at it from my vantage point, like these are the things I'm kind of like um, looking at, but I don't necessarily think that they're indictments, but they are kind of these observations that I'm just kind of making from well, my, from where I am. Well, they're, and they're correct too, because um, the, so remember how in our episode on Diva, I was talking about French people and their fascination with black people. Well, mm-hmm. there's actually a term for it and it's called um, negrophilia. Oh yeah. Oh, <laughs> or, I've, oh I've heard yeah. it. Yeah, negrophilie, as they say in France. Uh, but, and I feel like that there's a little bit of this coming in here as well. Um, because, you know, he wanted to, I know um, Marcel Camus, the director, he did live in Brazil for a while. I think he lived there for like, he said, 18 months. Um, there's a couple of little clips I'll put up from YouTube from the documentary. And they interview Marpessa Don, they interview um, Marcel Camus. They interview um, uh, Orfeo, the Mello, I believe his last name is. So there's like some really neat clips. But anyway, so yeah, he lived there and he said it was a challenge because, first of all, nobody's going to finance a, a, a film with all black characters and like visibly black characters, not like, you know, brown paper bag black. So yeah, it's just, it's really interesting that you say that. Yeah, that the, yeah. Yeah, because I, because Marpessa, you're right. She's like, because I'm looking at all of these other characters. I'm like, yeah, I mean, especially someone like Serafina. I'm like, she looks like, I just, I was marveling at the, at the, um, and this always is something that I've always thought about for a, quite a long time. But I was marveling at the fact that like these people look like people that you'd, I'd see down the street in West Philly, like, you know, mm-hmm. and, but I, 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 I remember one time when I was an undergrad and so, and our, we had so many student jobs at my particular um, university because there were so many students, there were so many opportunities. It was a, it was a really big school. Mm-hmm. And so sometimes students would just, sometimes your job would literally just be to sit in a building for like six, six hours a day <laughs> and just kind of like monitor the goings on or like do, do nothing at all. Um, and so I was walking into one of the buildings where we had our student advisor center at, and like, um, just, he didn't say it really loudly, but as I was walking by, he was like, you look just like my sister. You look just like my sister. And I'm just like, um, hi, what, what'd you say? I just try not to be rude. Mm-hmm. And he was like, oh, you look just like my sister. And he was African. Oh, like born and raised in Africa. He was like, you look just like my sister. And I thought that was really interesting. Um, and then like, I, like I was looking like, again, characters in this movie, we, 
we it just it I don't it's I always that's always fascinating to me. No matter where you are in the world, if there are African people, there's gonna be someone who feels reminiscent of just people in America or just people from where you're from. And mm-hmm. with someone like um Eridisi, like, yeah, she, because I was kind of, because I was doing the kind of like thing that I do sometimes when I'm watching um, Blacks on film, and I'm just like, oh, yeah, well, how would uh, Eridisi be kind of classified? Yeah, she is, she, you know, she's my complexion. Maybe she's probably a little bit lighter than me, but not too much. But yeah, but she's also looking at her, I was looking at her hair texture, all these things. And, but in her facial features, like you mentioned earlier, and it's like, yeah, she would be the person who would be quote unquote labeled exotic. Well, which is, and- yeah, mm-hmm. absolutely. And fun fact, she's not even Brazilian. <laughs> she's American. Yeah. yeah, she's part Filipino, part Black. So that's okay. That's exactly why so, she looks right? the way she looks. <laughs> right? <laughs> I mean, she's not even South American. Because my mother was, um, she was part Black, part uh, Venezuelan, South American. My, my grandfather was South American. So uh, it's so weird that as you're saying that, that man saying that you look like his sister, there's like this weird kind of global connection with black people that I I actually I love because we see ourselves in each other, you know? Mm-hmm. And I think that's what that's what's so great about Black Orpheus is that I feel like you're seeing yourself in a way even though you don't feel connected culturally, but visually, optically you can see yourself. I'm seeing my mother yeah. in Marquesa. Like yeah, it's just I don't know. It's just, I really love that. You're absolutely right. And I know this is why it, it does bug me that we are so divided. And again, I, up to even, I think this um, past week, I was listening to a podcast and they were kind of having a conversation about how we should not be, um, as um, non-European folks, we should not be so divided. Like there's mm-hmm. always something, there's always, there's always something about why this black person from this country is better than this black person from this country. And I'm just, I'm really sick of it. Cause again, my, my, the way I was raised as an American and the way I was raised in my particular family, we don't do that. We, mm-hmm. and, and again, I, 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 again, remember my mother having conversations with me about these kind of divisions or this kind of like negative energy that you get from people from non-american black people mm-hmm. and you know my mom loves everyone it's just like you know we she comes from the black power generation mm-hmm. and so it's just like and and being like well i'm looking out for all of us because we're all in this together like even if you're in this country they're not a a, a clan member is not going to differentiate you from being Jim, oh, you're Jamaican, so that means I'm not going to try to terrorize you just as much as I would terrorize an American black person. You know what I mean? Exactly. So yeah. I guess this is my little PSA of saying, can we stop that? Because you're no better than me. <laughs> if you, you know, I, and I'm no better than you. Period. Like we're all black folks. And we all we all have very we all have very cult, different we all very culturally that's one thousand percent true, but we all look the same for the most part. Well, and I think I, I totally agree because my family comes from the Caribbean, and each island has their own little, you know, idiosyncratic things, and they'll you know kind of I know like there's a rivalry. There used to well, I don't know anymore, but. 
you know, Trini and and Jamaicans and and Trinidad and Guyana and like all these little rivalries. And it's like, y'all, we all come from the same area. Just stop it. You know? <laughs> like, yeah, like your your it. boat was dropped off at a different region of exactly. the world. Yeah. That's like, it. And like, you know, the indigenous people, because there is um my my family uh hails from St. Lucia. So like I've got people I've got like lineage from every freaking island that you could think of right <laughs> and so like the, the the lineage is comes from the indigenous people of 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 the um the caribbean right so there's like we've got a little bit of everything so i just wish people would like yeah just stop with the rivalry like i had um i had a, a neighbor um there i can't remember where they were from but they were african and the it was a, a husband and wife and they had these these little kids and who I couldn't stand. They were just, I didn't like them, but <laughs> I didn't like those kids. I don't know what it was. They were just terrible. Her husband was lovely. He was a really nice dude, but she did not like my sister and I. And it's because we were black Caribbeans and she's, she was African and she made that very clear. <laughs> and, you know, she did not like us because of that. So I just, it really disappointed me because you know, I would have loved to have been like talk to her and learn about. I can't. I still can't. Oh my god, I cannot remember where she was from, but I would have loved to like you know chit chat and find out. Like, um, one of my very close friends, I grew up with him. We went to um kindergarten together. He's Nigerian, and like you know, if I have a question about Nigerian, he'd be Nigeria. He'd be happy to answer it for me. And I mean, he grew up here. He's basically like like Canadian. So. You know, I don't think I don't even think he speaks the language. I don't think so. But, um, you know, like I just love meeting black people from different areas and like learning about the culture and like feeling a kinship, you know, like, mm -hmm. I don't know. I just I'm very accepting that way. So it's sometimes it's it's I get very upset when you know, I'm I'm seen as like an other by a black person. <laughs> I'm like, but we're the same, you know, same, but different. Like, I don't know, maybe I'm just too utopian in my brain, but not necessarily. I just, I honestly, can someone, I just, my thing is give me a good reason why you dislike me. Yeah. A, a good reason. And don't do the generic. Um, I guess people, I guess, yeah. It, Cause the thing I've been told or the thing I've been, I've been again, an observer or a listener of is the fact that like certain people, certain people in certain parts in certain countries get the narrative that, you know, certain Caribbean folks or certain black folks in America or, or us, us as a, or a broad sweep general, that we're wasteful, that we're criminals, that, you know, all of these like negative stereotypes. And so they believe the hype, but don't, attached the fact that like, well, we look the same. So if you come here, you're going to be put under that same microscope of negativity. Mm -hmm. uh, if that makes any sense. Um, you know, I, cause we were watching that episode of the grapevine, right. And yes. we, and there was an Africa, there's a woman from Africa who yes. has it. Okay. Her conservative views aside, if I get, I don't know if we can separate that from her because that's her brand and whatever um and probably what she truly believes uh she you know feels like 
well, I'm from this particular country. So I come to, I'm, I'm in America to work hard and I worked hard. So I'm successful. So why can't all of you do what I did? Mm-hmm. So, and so be, and because of her worldview and because of her experiences from point A to point Z, she has concluded that there's no such thing as institutional racism or white privilege is just that black people are not working hard enough. So I, I I feel like this is this is kind of a part of our conversation about how we sep- how we divide ourselves amongst each other. Um, and I think that and it gets this is probably a, a very extreme extreme example, but it's the most topical because we both watched that episode, right? Yes. So, yeah. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, I guess it's just frustrating for me because again, I was raised by people who are just like, if you brown, we family. Like, you know, there's no separation. There's no any of that. There's, we're just, you know, and I think that's, but I think my family is not unique as a black, a black American families more times than not, we don't want to do, we don't want to do that. But I think sometimes those negative experiences with other black people, not from America kind of informs kind of a, it, it puts a stain sometimes on your, on your perspective on, it's like it's like a it's like a really vicious cycle, essentially. Yeah, absolutely. Because uh, there's an Idris Elba comedy called In the Long Run, and um, it's really cute. And it's about based on his childhood growing up in England. And he, the the woman that plays his mother, um, I'm not sure where they're from, but he's his background is African. I think he's Nigerian. Nigerian. I think. Okay, I so, think. So his mother goes back to work. And she sees, and it's like a, a whole white office, right? So she's the only black person. And then they hire another black woman and she happens to be Jamaican. So she's like, oh, hey, it's so nice to see you here. And the Jamaican woman throws so much shade at her. And she really dislikes um, Idris Elba's mother. And so, um, so you know, the Idris Elba's mom, she's like, well, what's your problem? She's like, just because we're black, we don't have to like each other. And I'm like, oh, my God. <laughs> like, it's just, you know, I mean, I feel like there's just like, um, as I said, kinship, when you're in spaces that you're not normally, you know, a large number in, like, mm-hmm. it, it's just, I don't know. It just made me laugh because when you were talking about that, it made me think about the that episode and how her mother, <laughs> his mother was trying to make friends with this woman, but the woman would not have it because she's like, just because you're black and I'm black doesn't mean we have to be friends. But I'm like, actually, I don't know. I, I, I come again, that utopian part of my brain where, you know, like I was at a party during TIFF and there's a bunch of people around, but there's a couple of actresses that were black there. There weren't a lot of black women there. And we passed each other in the crowd and we kind of gave each other that kind of smile and, you know, like, you know, I see you, I see you. And that's what I love. You don't have mm-hmm. to be best friends, but just acknowledge, you know? Right. Because I was going to say, first of all, that is 100% true. I do not have to be friends with you or even yeah. like, or re- or like you yes. because you're black. Yes. However, yep. if I'm meeting you for the first time, I'm going to be polite and friendly and cordial as much as possible. Hopefully I'm not in one of my moods, but <laughs> definitely yeah. if we're in a workplace, I'm like, I'm going to at least get to know you before I make an assessment. Yeah. You know, I, I, I wouldn't do that. Like if, if you're, no. if that, if that particular character came up to me, it was the same warm and friendly thing. I'd be like, okay, this is what we're doing. Okay. This is going to be the rapport. Yeah. Like, Cause that's how I am. Like, it's really, I don't know if this is a sidebar, but basically um, I was saying something earlier this week um, 
when I had to do an interview and I was kind of talking about how um, Rachel True like really illuminated something for me as a, like a, a feeling I've always had almost my entire life, mm-hmm. as far as my awareness of my blackness or going that far back about the idea of you have to walk throughout this world, thinking to yourself, you're going to go into situations, even if you're just going to CVS to get a few things, you're going, you're going into a space and you auto, you automatically have it in your head that people are going to be awful to you based on what you look like, your co- i.e. the color of your skin. You know, I, as I was watching Black Orpheus, I saw another film in it and I was like, oh my God, it just made me kind of my head explode. Did you see um, Guava Island? With the uh, childish Gambino, not gonna watch that. So uh, I, I didn't. So I didn't see it because he. I can only take him in small doses. He is. I, we're not gonna get into why how frustrating <laughs> he is as a Negro, but like I've listened to his music long enough to say he kind of been. He's kind of been on Rihanna's jock for a long time, and mm-hmm. I just didn't want to see some sort of self indulgent piece where he just gets to drool over Rihanna for ninety minutes. So, ugh. Yeah, but, he kind. You know. He kind of does, but it just like it's basically a a, a, a knockoff of uh, Black Orpheus because a lot of the same things happen. Um, but he actually used it's weird because I don't know. I guess I guess it's a fictional island, and everybody um, in the cast, all the black people, they all have different accents. So someone has a more African accent. Um, one person has a Jamaican accent. He's like kind of like the the boss. Yeah, um, and I remember yeah. someone, I remember a critic really complaining about that too. Yeah. But I, I wonder if that's done on purpose because he's kind of saying we are all kind of in one group. And I, I thought that was, I, I felt it was a little bit, I thought it was clever. I don't know. I thought it was probably, yeah. Probably yes, because he does, I, I, Donald Glover as an artist is in, as astronomically intentional about everything that he does, every, every, every incision of Mm. any piece of art that he creates is all intentional. Mm -hmm. And here's the whole director thing. Again, the guy who directed that is Japanese. So yeah, he works with hero Mariah a lot too. I believe I'm pronouncing the name right. Yeah. 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 He, cause he does Atlanta, right? He does. um, Mm -hmm. So, you know, the whole director and authorship and what have you, I mean, sometimes you just have to throw it out the window you know, unless it's something specifically like I find if there's anything to do with black crime and um, anything that goes really in depth with blackness. Yeah. OK, I have an issue with it. But if it's like a, a fun fantasy film or whatever, I'm kind of a, I'm a bit more lenient, you know, a bit more lenient when it comes to that. Maybe it's like everything else. I'm not sure. But again, if there were equitable opportunities for. Now we're we're talking about black filmmakers in particular with this in this case, if they were given the fairness and the opportunities and the chances like non-black directors, particularly white directors, then maybe we wouldn't be having this conversation about who could do what. Um, maybe yeah. we would to to a degree, of course. Yeah, no, we definitely would. But like again, maybe that's the issue. I'm not sure because again, I really. I got to do a one-on-one with a filmmaker. I'm going to ask a filmmaker sometime before the summer ends, like what, what is the finesse that a black writer director brings to a, a story on screen? Like how you tell that story, how you tell that story about black people and black culture and black life. Mm-hmm. Um, but also 
you I, I don't think you could ever strip strip the humanity away from it. There's always going to be something about a film that everyone can relate to, no matter what color you are, mm-hmm. uh, skin color. So what what is it about? Like I I kind of understand it on a consumer consumer level, but not as a person who crafts the art of it. Mm-hmm. So you know the music is a big deal in this movie too because I believe it it introduced bossa nova to the rest of the world and um i know that the playwright who wrote the original play the film was uh, based off of he was kind of key in bringing bossa nova to life as well morai and then the music for black orpheus was done by antonio carlos yobim and luis bonfa i believe if i'm correct that correctly mm-hmm. but um yeah it's just like Oh, it's so infectious. Like, I, well, I remember I was watching it the other day. I was just like kind of moving my shoulders like, oh, I love Samba. I love Samba. And I love Bossa Nova. But apparently um, it's Bossa Nova and Samba. So Bossa Nova is basically listened to by mostly middle class people. And Samba is like, uh, you know, more popular with or historically has been more popular with Afro-Brazilians. So that's like everything from Brazil has like a, a background or a political meaning or 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 something there's a bit of weight behind everything in brazil which i really find fascinating yes the music in, the music in the movie was really great like i said earlier kind of you heard drumming consistently throughout the entire film it, it is a film that it, it felt like it vibrated to me you know how music what i love to do sometimes um i use an external speaker for all of my digital stuff or, you know, the iPhone, how you can pair uh, speakers and stuff like that. So I, I, I love the vibration sometimes of like the beats. I look, cause obviously I listen to a lot of music with bass in it. Well, not obviously I'm just saying that cause I'm black, but y'all know what I'm talking about. <laughs> I listen to a lot of music with a lot of bass. And so I, sometimes I like kind of running my fingers over it. And I feel like the film kind of comes alive for me in that way with the music. And it's really, um, and it was a really great lesson for me because again, I'm not, uh, I'm not familiar with uh, Brazilian music. Again, I think I got some of ex- some some exposure to music from South America and the Caribbean. Uh, from my mom listened to a lot of stuff, like not a whole lot. Like that was kind of one of her subgenres. So I was exposed to some of it, but not like it's not culturally part a part of me. But I do really enjoy kind of um, listening to that music. And also Ida Rodriguez, um, who is a Latinx comic. I think that's how she identifies, but she identifies more as Afro-Latina. Like she always says that like, I'm just a black person who can speak Spanish. So, or who speaks Spanish. So mm-hmm. uh, she, so she, one of her old podcasts was really fantastic. Um, she used to play music in between, like in between breaks and she would play a lot of, um, music from Puerto Rico and the Caribbean um, at large. And I was jamming. Cause so she do like, so she talk about these like heavy hitting social issues, but in between time you hear um, all of these great artists from that, those regions, those two regions. So I had a really great time. Like, Oh, I kind of like, this is dope. And so, and I feel like black Orpheus kind of gave me that kind of boost to like, I need to do some more homework with this. Yeah. Well, I mean, it's funny cause like with my background, we get a lot of different music um, the Caribbean has just a lot of a, an amalgamation of, of music and cultures and sounds. So it's really, I don't know, I've always loved samba music. I've always loved it. I love the drums. And you can hear that African influence with the drums. Um, and it's just infectious, you know. So you kind of, even if there's like something, you know, that wasn't 
quite as cheerful. You still kind of had to move your shoulders, you know, when you're watching <laughs> Black Orpheus. <laughs> yeah. It's it's really infectious. So yeah, I mean, I actually bought um I found it at a secondhand store. It was like a 24 karat gold CD of um interpretations uh jazz interpretations of Black Orpheus. I still have hmm. it somewhere, but I just, you know, just so I don't know, I just feel so connected to that film that yeah, just having something like that, something unique. Yeah, I just really, I love the music. I was also just going to note that it's Black Music Month. So this is like the perfect time to like, if you if you are in the spirit of celebration, to seek out music from the diaspora. Uh, it's one of the things that I, I kind of want to do this month a little bit. I'm doing, I am doing a Black Music Month challenge, but how fitting that a movie so heavily immersed in music and a culturally specific kind of music that we're talking about this month um, in June that we're, that it's, that's also black music month, not just black American music month, um, but just black music in general. And that stretches wide and far. There's so many different types of things to kind of check out that sometimes we're just not exposed to. And again, that is definitely, um, and that's definitely based on culture and other, and other factors as well. Re, you know, region where you live, who your, who your folks are, who your friends are, all those kinds of things. So this is definitely something I want to get into as far as the exchange, the mu- music exchange, because I think that's really important, especially for, for us. Yeah. Oh, for sure. Like, I mean, I love a good Afrobeat. And I was, I haven't, I think I discovered Afrobeat like maybe a couple of years ago. Um, and I just love it. But for me, I love drums. Like I'm a diehard fan of drum and bass. So I need my drum and bass. Um, so anything with a heavy bass and a drum beat, I'm there. So yeah. And I love I love Latin music. Um, give me a good samba, a salsa, um, you know, anything like the uh, reggaeton. Like I love it all. So and it's so weird because I'm not a huge fan of the music that comes from my background specifically. I'm I'm not really into soca. I'm just I, I, I maybe I just I've developed a sensitivity because I heard it so much <laughs> as a child. Yeah. <laughs> but I guess samba and soca is I feel like samba is soca sped up. I don't know. I'm just but I'm I'm just not a fan. I think I've just heard too much of it. So yeah. Yeah. But the music in this film is fantastic. A part of my black music cultural heritage is that old school black bar on the corner music. Like, oh God, which I can't with that stuff. That stuff that like, like that juke joint Saturday night type of music. Oh, oh yeah. my God. <laughs> and my mom listened to it again because my grandmother listened to it. And so when it was on the radio, I'm just like, what is this bar? Why are y'all playing this? <laughs> she would laugh. I'm just like, that's what it sounds like to me. I mean, I have an appreciation for it, obviously, but that's kind of what it is. But also with you, I used to love when you used to like text me and say, we're having a dance break at work and you're listening to drum and bass. Yeah. <laughs> or beat. Yeah. Yeah. I know. Like, yeah, you just, yeah. And it, it's funny because, it, it, you know, I really should kind of um, jump on the uh, Black Music Month. And actually, I've been seeing your challenge and, I you know I don't know if it's a quarantine but I'm just not listening to a lot of music. So I feel like after I watched Black Orpheus it just kind of sparked my you know urge to listen to music again. I'm just I just kind of have I shut it down. I don't know why. But yeah, I really want to start listening to music again. 
Oh, I, yeah, I listen to music all the time. Shout out to Naima Cochrane. She is the uh, owner or the founder of the hashtag Music Sermon, and um, I go to her for the Black Music Challenges. It's been it was really fun when she had the time and the effort and put it in on Twitter. If you just look for the hashtag Music Sermon, she has done like strings of like mo- almost exclusively Black American music because that's where she that's what she did. I believe she was a music journalist for years and, and worked all in and through the music business in America. And so she knows a lot of, she knows the deep cuts, she knows the popular stuff, and she, she'll break things down. If she's talking about, a, she, she'll break down like sub, sub, sub genres of black music. Like I think one of them is called the, like the Tims and Dickies of male R&B groups. Like, 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 like your, your Jodeci's, your H-Towns. Like she got, she got, she got even deep, deep, deep into kind of like was talking about all of them. And she also put out the disclaimer, look, I'm not going to cover everyone. I'm just talking about what's the people who made an impact or prominence or, or made an impact, excuse me, on um, some of the cultural things that we do, the way, the way people were dressing, the way people were, the, the sounds of New Jack Swing specifically. Like that's just one example of what she did. And those music sermons were so fun. It was just pretty much like going back down memory lane, especially for someone like me, because I am a child of the 80s and a teenager of the 90s. So, so yeah, I mean, those, those music challenges are really fun. Mm-hmm. But um, other than that, as far as the film and what, it continues to do with the music in the film. Like we, so like the second half, it, it becomes that kind of tragedy. Now, again, I had no prior knowledge that this was a play, but I was really sad when, uh, Eridice? Mm-hmm. Yeah. I, I cannot Eurydice, pronounce Eurydice, Eurydice, how she, uh, I didn't want, I didn't want her to die. I wanted her and Ofeo to be together. Cause you know, cause I, I, sometimes I can be a sucker for romance. So I was hoping that they would work out, um, but he'd had to dump that girl first. Um, mm. But yeah, <laughs> yeah, it's kind of, it ended kind of tragically. But I oh, going back to what you said about even music that is sorrowful, like there's mm-hmm. a there's a there's that kind of energy in the air of kind of sorrow and release. Mm-hmm. You you that fact that you're still moving. I, you saw that again when he was trying to like find I can't pronounce her name. I I forgot again. Mm-hmm. Oh my God. Euricity. Euricity. Oh my gosh. <laughs> when he was looking for her, like when he was trying to like find her. Like when he mm-hmm. was it almost I don't know if he was in denial or what, but even when he went to that ceremony, there were still people there there was still this 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 purging, this 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 need to still move and you know like basically i feel like you know i don't know much about these religions or traditions but there's still this kind of movement this need to still affirm life even mm-hmm. through sorrow yeah for sure and there is this a melancholy to like bossa nova you know and and it's kind of haunting and um like to your point of the the sadness um in the documentary, I'm going to, there's some clips that, that on YouTube, so I'll leave them um, in our notes. But um, the documentary, Looking for Black Orpheus, there's a singer called Marco Sacramento, and his voice is so beautiful. And it, it just really captures that haunting kind of sadness to to um, the music. And um, yeah, I think it's, it is really, it's a tragedy, right? So it's a Greek tragedy. And I think though in the end they they will it's kind of like a Romeo and Juliet story and they will be mm-hmm. re- reunited in death. So I think at least they will be together but 
you know, not in the way that you, you want them to kind of run off into the sunset. <laughs> it's kind of like, oh, well, yeah, no. Yeah. So See, it's, it, it seemed when the women's, when he came back kind of into the, uh, in, into this into the community that that he lived mm-hmm. with um with Eridisi oh my god that's this right. is ridiculous you got it. <laughs> <laughs> with um with her with her body like all the women's came out and I couldn't tell if he fell back on purpose or if it mm-hmm. was an accident I don't think it necessarily matters mm-hmm. but um it was it, it did feel yeah mm-hmm. it's I don't know how I would even describe it but Every everyone in this movie had this almost, and maybe that's why I kind of repel towards musicals because everything is so dang extra, mm-hmm. <laughs> and that's that's kind of the vibe I was getting. Even yeah. though I, I, I did enjoy it, um, yeah. I enjoyed the love story, I enjoyed the music, I enjoyed seeing Carnival. I've never really seen it, mm-hmm. uh, so all of those things. But then when he fell, I was like, oh. Yeah, but again, not too surprised considering the trajectory from like when when Iridisi, oh my god, mm-hmm. um, to when Marpessa Dawn's character pa- um, passes on, and um, and from there, I kind of like kind of saw that coming. Mm-hmm. But also, I think it was really great. I, I thought it was adorable when the kids kind of like pick kind of pick up the tradition. Yes, I just thought that was. It did kind of leave you a little bit uplifted that, you know, mm-hmm. but I think there was a bit of a criticism where they were saying like the, you know, the poor people are happy and, and they're going to dance into the sunset. And it's like, well, I don't know if you're going for a more fantastical um, um, bent with this film, I, then I, it's acceptable. I think it's acceptable. And they're children, right? So children aren't going to they're going to know that they're poor, but they're not going to, I think they're easily amused. They're easily, you know, distracted. So for that little moment, they're going to play the guitar and they're going to dance off because they're kids. Right. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, I think that was a, a really sweet moment. To, it was or, very sweet. Yeah. A sweet note to end the film on, you know? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, because yeah, everything, I think, I think it had a really great narrative flow Mm -hmm. because they talk about, because Ofeo talks to the, to the kids about the tradition of the guitar and how he plays so lovely that it makes the sun rise. Like all of those things, those kids were like, you know, I think understood as folk tales, but Mm -hmm. also wanted to, wanted, it it kind of was symbolic. This is, may may sound cheesy, but it was symbolic of hope. Mm -hmm. I'm not talking, I'm just talking, um, in general, of like kind of believing in life continuing, of of, mm-hmm. of vibrancy, of something more beyond anything that they may be dealing with on a negative level. I know mm-hmm. that sounds super cheesy, but that's kind of what I got out of it at the end, especially when the kids sit down and one of the kids starts playing, I forget his name, but because mm-hmm. there's three of them, it was the two boys and I think the girl comes along, right? Yes. Yeah. And then... And then they start playing and then the movie kind of ends there. And I thought that was a perfect way to kind of end this film. Well, you know, it's not cheesy. I'm going to, okay, I'm going to tell like kind of a sappy story about my parents. But when my mom was younger, she um, wasn't treated very well um, with within her family. And so I think she had an aunt who found out that my dad was interested in my mom and he wanted to get married to her. And so her mean aunt said something like, oh, you know, 
you're not really worth it. He's too good for you. And so my mom took it to heart and she kind of, you know, headed for the hills. And I think she went to live with somebody else, uh, some other relative. And so my dad was so upset by that, that he went after her. And I know. And he went after her and he (laughs) found her. He's like, no, you, you know, you're the girl for me. And then they got married. So with that whole um, Orfeu and Eurydice, like they just him going after her. That's another reason why I love this movie because it kind of makes me think back to how you know noble my dad was to go get the girl. You know, mm-hmm. <laughs> so and it just it sounds cheesy, but like when it, it's your actual parents and you know that like they you know they drove each other crazy, but they were like meant to be kind of thing. So yeah. I don't know. So yeah, I I totally relate to that. And and I did I I did love the ending to this film. Yeah. That was such a lovely story. I know. I don't I th- love that. Some of the details I'm not getting quite right. Like I'm sure if my, <laughs> my sister here she's like, "Actually, <laughs> oh gosh." But, you know, like that's just generally the gist of the story, but yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I I mean, I I am sort of kind of the oral keeper of the stories and the information that has been passed on to to me, at least for whatever my lineage is going to be. So, Mm -hmm. but so I, so I understand, so I understand that, but it's not about the details. It's about, not always, but it's about like that whole story kind of wrapping into why this movie means so much to you. It makes Mm -hmm. even more sense now. Yeah. Yeah. It's just, it's, I don't know. I, I think I stumbled, I think I mentioned it before I stumbled upon it, like, on TCM or something and I'm like oh my god (laughs) so yeah and it's now it's with me forever so yeah okay uh anything else you want to get into before no I think that's it yeah it's just so um this movie was really melanated and so are we uh Carolyn is there anywhere on the digital is there anywhere in the digital uh a space. I wanted to say something clever, but it didn't come out. Forgive me. Um, where in the world do you actually want people online to follow you, even if they're strangers? Um, I'm on Twitter um, at VFDPixie. And Ashley, where can people find you? I am on Twitter at Ashley Takes Note. Cool. Okay, let's just do our awkward goodbyes. Bye. Bye. Until next time. Thank you.